Welcome uh, to Genesis. My name's Michael. I'll add a welcome to you as well. Mike Shaw, good to see you. Uh, first time, I'm glad you're here. And um, I don't know if this has been a tough week for you, but uh, USA lost yesterday. Uh, that was pretty sad. Uh, Michael Jackson's been gone for a year. That's been hard. <laughs> After much counseling and therapy, I've uh, recovered from his loss. But last night... Some of you know that uh, I uh, enjoy uh, the mixed martial art sport, and uh, last night, my, uh, my, my guy that I, I follow, he's uh, been undefeated for uh, all of his fights. Uh, his name is Fedor Emelianenko, and he is a Russian, and he is a man who loves God. I've heard his testimony, and he's very vocal with his faith. And if you think it's inconsistent that someone could fight other people in a cage and still love God, you haven't heard from Fedor. Um, we'll talk after service and I'll convert you. Um, but last night, Fedor had a fight, and he is the number one pound-for-pound -pound fighter ranking uh, in the world, and he was fighting the guy who was like number 10 or number 11. And uh, it was supposed to be a walk in the park. And last night, on top of USA losing, on top of Michael Jackson being gone for a year, um, and Fedor lost his first fight. It was the saddest thing, but why I'm sharing so much about my man Fedor, he's Russian and doesn't speak a lick of English, and he's so tough that he doesn't need to learn English, so uh, he doesn't bother. <laughs> And the interviewer, uh, through translation, uh, the very first question was, Fedor, you've never lost. You've been king, uh, pound for pound, all that kind of stuff uh, for uh, over a decade now. Uh, how does it feel uh, to have your first loss? And uh, I'm going to read this to make sure I get it right. But um, this was probably not more than, this is last night, so this was not more than five minutes. He got choked out, meaning... Uh, the other competitor uh, put him in a really tight uh, chokehold where he had to tap out because he was going to pass out if he didn't. And uh, so literally after two minutes of being almost suffocated, uh, the question is, how does it feel? And if you're familiar with this sport, there's a lot of arrogance, there's a lot of cockiness, there's a lot of those things that just bug and annoy of guys who are just really, really into themselves. And then there's this one guy, Fedor, who's just not. And his response was this. Through translation, the one who doesn't fall doesn't stand up. And the whole arena, it sounded like or seemed like, was just silenced. And the commentator was like, how do I respond to that? And I just thought it was because of his, his walk with God, and he's very vocal that he is a man who loves Jesus. Um, and his response, the one who doesn't fall doesn't stand up. And I've never seen a commentator struggle to find another question to how do you come back from that? Because his response was one of just such humility uh, that he just got beat. He didn't, you know, whine and complain that there was something unfair that happened. Uh, he responded with a simple proverb. And the commentator fumbled, and there wasn't actually much more conversation. And I thought it was just brilliant that why we're doing proverbs is not that we would just have knowledge, uh, but that we would have wisdom. And in that moment, his first time he'd ever been defeated in an entire career, he knew how to respond with a proverb. And he knew how to apply that proverb to his, his situation, to his circumstance. The one who, this is not a Bible verse, by the way, uh, the one who doesn't fall doesn't stand up. Why we're doing proverbs is that we would really begin to live our lives very, very differently. I've tried to hit home that there's a big difference between having knowledge and having wisdom. Knowledge is what you know. It's information. It's facts. Uh, knowledge and wisdom are not divorced from each other, but they're very different. So knowledge is literally what you know. And then wisdom is being able to live and apply what you know to how you live life. We're going to spend, and we've already been in it now for five weeks, but we're walking through the book of Proverbs so that we would have knowledge, gain knowledge, but then we would also grow in wisdom, practically applying what we know to how we live our life. And I would venture to say that there's maybe two different camps uh, here this morning. 
uh, that there are some who need to grow in knowledge. Not useless factual information, but knowledge in God and who he is, his character, his heartbeat, his plans and purposes. So that our knowledge would lead us to rightly relate with God, with ourselves, with each other, with the culture, community around us. I love the Apostle Paul. He was, he was such a warrior, but he was also very um, bold in the way that he prayed for uh, people in the church. And I love how in Colossians, this was his prayer. Colossians 1, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So there are some here today that you need to grow in knowledge so that you can know God, walk with God, relate with God, understand yourself. That's the first camp. Then there's a second camp is, there's some of you here, you don't honestly need any more knowledge. You just need to start living what you know. There's a lot, I don't know how many, but a lot who've probably been in the church, around the church, around God, around the Bible for so long, you know it. You can quote it, you can say it, you can sing it, you know so much. But the challenge that Proverbs tells us, exhorts us to, is live what you know. Because if you have knowledge but don't apply knowledge to how you live your life, that's folly. You're a fool. So I don't know which camp you're in, but I want you to to pick, gosh, where am I? Do I need to, to grow in knowledge of God so I can relate with him, myself, others, culture, community? Or am I really, I just... I honestly just need to apply what I already know to how I live. I mean, think about that. If you, especially if you've been in the, in, in the church for a while, in relationship with God for a while, would your life look any different if you just applied some of the very basic things of what you know of God, what Scripture teaches? I guarantee our lives would be radically different if we just lived out what we know. And this is what the heart of Proverbs is. So, um, this morning specifically, uh, we're going to look at uh, hopefully a pretty touchy, sensitive issue because it has to do with your heart. And one of the things that Proverbs specifically and also the Bible makes very clear uh, is that the, your heart is the core of who you are. And I wrote it down like this. If you want to see growth, maturity change in who you are to who God's calling you to become, that transformation begins in the heart. So if you want to see difference, maturity, growth in your life, it begins with your heart. Not a change of your uh, external circumstances or situation, but it begins with the heart. So I would hope as you're here at almost July 1st, that say by September 1st, we're going to wrap up Proverbs around September. So two months from now, you could say, my life actually looks very different. I still live in the same place. I'm, I'm still in the same relationships, still have the same wife, I hope, still have the same husband. A lot of situations, circumstances might be the same, but you could say, I'm different. I've matured. I've grown because I'm applying wisdom to how I live my life. Father God, I do pray that uh, this morning as we would talk about the heart, you would really open up our heart. God, I don't know, obviously, where everyone is in this place today, but you do, and you are the one who can speak to and address matters of the heart. God, I I know that there's probably many here uh, who have questions about you, how to relate with you. God, there's many people who have questions just about themselves, of what's going on in their life and why there isn't much change or difference or transformation. God, would you please open each of our hearts that we would actually hear from you, that Proverbs, specifically, your word, scripture, would speak into our hearts, and we would be different. That transformation would begin to take place because we're dealing with the core, the essence of who we are, uh, the heart. So God, I give thanks. As Jeremy mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, we give thanks for the gospel. We give thanks, Jesus, that you love every single person in here, that you call every single one of us to a relationship with you. And God, I pray that some would begin that relationship today, and I pray that others who've already begun that relationship would grow. 
We love you, Jesus, and we're excited for what you would say to us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. This is what Solomon says on just how important your heart is. Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, and he's already been saying a lot of things, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Typical question that uh, people ask, and it's a good question, it's a fair question, is how are you? I usually like to throw in the heart, how are you, of how is your heart doing, because typically when you ask someone, how are you, you're going to get one of three, and this is not exhaustive, but one of three responses. One response is, you know what, I'm just feeling tired, I'm feeling just beat up, I'm, I'm a bit frustrated, burned out, broken, confused, anxious, worried, fearful. That's how I am. That's how I'd sum up my life. Some would say, I'm okay. Oh, if that's your response, by the way, I was going to point out that ultimately that's a heart that hasn't been protected. If you're feeling the things of being beat up and tired and burned out and jaded and broken, you haven't protected that which matters most, your heart. A second response is, I'm okay, which is really, I have no idea. I, I can't even identify my heart and what's going on in my life, but I'm just going to give the answer of, I'm okay, which means I don't even know or might mean I'm indifferent, I just don't care. And really, that's the heart that just hasn't been cultivated. And we'll talk about that. A third response might be, you know what? I'm, I'm just pretty stinking happy. I got a lot of joy going on. I've got the peace thing happening. I find myself singing a lot. I'm smiling a lot. I just feel content. I feel secure. And if that's your response when people ask you how you are, it's a good chance that you have been guarding your heart. Again, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Just to be clear, I don't think anyone's confused on this. I'm not talking about the 10, 11-ounce organ that's lodged in each of our chests. When the Bible talks about our heart, it's talking about our core, our essence, who we are. Um, Bible teaches that the heart is the core of who you are. It's the center of our emotions, our will, our passions, our personality, our spirituality. The heart is the driving force of attitudes and actions, our inner life. So when you hear me talk about the heart, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the organ. I'm talking about the essence of who you are. God reveals himself to us in our heart. God speaks to us in our heart, and it becomes the dwelling place. You want to know where faith is? You want to know where hope is? You want to know where love is? It's in your heart. That's what the Bible teaches about the heart. And I love, I love what Proverbs, actually, this is, I'm not going to give you all these verses because there's a lot, but this is what Proverbs says about the heart. The heart is the source of wisdom, the source of understanding. The heart is the uh, origin of deceit. It says our hearts can either backslide, rebel, reject, or our hearts can actually trust God. Proverbs says that the heart may be cheerful, prideful, bitter, haughty, or prudent. Proverbs says that the heart can be hardened, filled with lust, and rage against God all at the same time. Throughout Scripture, the Bible makes very, very clear that your heart or the condition of your heart is really, really important. So if you're not thinking about it already, be thinking about how is the condition of my heart. And one of the things that we're going to hone in on uh, this morning is if you really want to know not just uh, how you are doing, but if you want to know who you are, not just how you are, but if you want to know who you are, you have to start with the heart. One of my favorite Proverbs uh, dealing with the heart says this. Remember, it's if you want to know who you are, you look at your heart. Proverbs 27, 19. As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. Isn't that great? As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. So what does your current reflection say about you? What does your reflection say about you? What does your heart 
reveal about who you are. Not just how you are, but what does it reveal about actually who you are. Your heart's a reflection of who you are. So when I describe my heart in some of the language I've already used as broken, I mean, it's very interesting when, you, when we talk about the heart, we use such powerful language and adjectives of it's broken, it's shattered, it's divided, it's hard, it aches. My heart is confused, it's anxious, it's worried, it's tired, it's angry. Or my heart is filled with love and joy and peace and happiness. All of those things, you're making statements about who you are. As water reflects a face, so a man heart, man's heart reflects the man. I think one of the most challenging things about this Proverbs, this Proverbs specifically, is it doesn't give me a way out. Meaning I think we often can look at our situation, our circumstances, our background, our past, present, and we can say these are the very things that are causing me to be this way. Meaning I'm responding to everything around me or everything that's happened to me and that's who I am. Situations, circumstances, often trials and pain bring out and reveal who we are, but it's our heart ultimately that reveals the man. So I'll ask it again. What is your heart today, not yesterday and tomorrow, but as you're just here today? Be reflective for a moment and just what is your heart saying about who you are? Not just how, but who you are. I value my heart a lot. I didn't always. I would say somewhere in the past uh, uh, 15 years, I began uh, the process of really trying to protect and guard my heart. I mean, it's a no-brainer. We protect, we guard things that we value most. Okay, I have three awesome kids. They're great. I would not just let anyone off the street who could spell my son's name watch my son for the day. I just wouldn't. I, I hope you wouldn't either. You had kids. I love my kids. I value my kids. I would protect my kids. I'm not just going to let anyone and everyone be around my kids. We value What we value most, we will protect. I did not always value my heart. And what I mean by that is if anger or bitterness wanted a home, it was always welcome in my heart. Meaning if anger and bitterness showed up, I'd be like, yeah, let's hang out together for a while. You make me feel good. Even though I feel miserable still, you can take residence in the home of my heart. If lust wanted to have a sleepover, she was always welcome. Sure, I can entertain that thought. Let that lust seep into my heart. If jealousy wanted to stop in, it wasn't a problem. Anxiety and worry, if they wanted to camp out, not a problem. Unforgiveness showed up. She would move right in. I just didn't care. I did not guard or protect my heart because I didn't value my heart because I didn't understand how important my heart was to who I was. So any of these things, whenever they would show up, I would just let them take residence in my heart. And you know what happens when you allow those things to take residence in your heart? They begin to shape you. I became a lustful person. I became a angry, bitter, unforgiving person. I was not a generous person. And I don't just mean financially. I mean just of myself, relationally, very closed off. I now guard my heart. And I hope as you're hearing that long list of things that you can allow into your heart, I hope some of them are actually kicking in and be like, wow, I'm allowing that to take up residence in my heart. And go back to the proverb, as water reflects a man's face, so a man's heart reflects the man. The condition of our inner life, meaning our heart, shapes the exterior of our life. Some of us have the mentality, I just need to change my personality or my attitude, or I need to change work on my responses, and I need to change external things, my situation. If I could just get a, a different job, or if I could get a different relationship, or if I could get something different, then I would be different. You're fooling yourself. You can change the external things, but that's all you're doing is just changing the external things. You're not changing you. God says, deal with your heart, and then you will begin to see 
some transformation. I wrote it down like this. Transform the heart of a man, you will transform the whole man. I want you to catch that. If you transform the heart of you, the heart of a man, you will transform the whole of a man. Not just part of him, not just some of her, but you will transform all of you, all of me. If you transform the heart, you will transform the whole. And so for me, and I hope as you as well, how would you answer this question? Okay, I've already pressed into what does your heart really say about you or reveal about you, but I want to switch gears a little bit and say, what kind of heart do you really want to have? And just know how you answer that question is you're really answering what kind of man you really want to be or what kind of woman you really want to be. So what kind of heart do you want to have? For me, and I hope for you, and I realize we're all in maybe a very different place, spiritually speaking, in terms of relating with God. But I hope that all of us would get to the point that says, I want to have a heart like Jesus so that I can be a reflection of Jesus. I don't want to just have a better, improved, refurbished version of my heart. I want to have the heart of Jesus because the proverb says the heart reflects the man. If I have the heart of Jesus, I will begin to reflect Jesus. The world doesn't need Michael Davis reflecting Michael Davis back to the world. We need people. Some of you could have said amen. That was a good spot right there. But yeah, preach it. Thank you. All right, let's not get too charismatic, all right? Let's, let's relax. Point being, I want to have the heart of Jesus so that I can begin to reflect Jesus. And I hope that you would come to that same conclusion of, Jesus, give me your heart so I can reflect you. So as I would look into the water, the reflection I see is no longer my face, but it is literally the face of Christ. In who I am, and who I am becoming. It's a great proverb. As water reflects a man's face, the heart reflects the man. So the question that we're spend a few moments on and really just finish with is, how do I cultivate a Christ-like heart so that I would begin to genuinely, accurately, consistently reflect Jesus? How do I cultivate a heart not a refurbished version of mine, but a genuine heart of Christ in me so that I would reflect and look like Jesus. I'm going to give you four. Number one is this. Allow God, and do this today, allow God to test and examine your heart. It's sometimes scary. If, if you've ever had to go to the doctor uh, to have your heart examined because it's been doing weird, funky things beating a little bit faster than it should, or it's just something's going on. You, you go and see this doctor, they plug you up, they test you. It's like, oh my gosh, what are they going to say? Let God do that for you. Let God examine your heart because you don't honestly know the condition of your heart, but God does. Jeremiah, you may have heard of uh, this verse. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I can't, I can't figure my own heart out because it can have joy and contentment and peace, but then anger and loneliness and fear and anxiety. It's the most confusing thing. And I'm not talking about the organ. I'm talking about me. Number one, how do I cultivate Christ-like heart? Allow God to test and examine your heart today because God is perfect. God is all-knowing and he, can, he knows your heart. He knows you. He knows where you're at. This is what Proverbs says. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. At some point today, give yourself a timeout. Take 10 minutes before you jump into whatever you might be doing today and just say, God, would you reveal to me the condition of my heart? And just hang out long enough to hear what God would have to say to you. It might take more than 30 seconds. It's kind of a big question. So stick around and, and God, examine my heart. Search my heart. Crucible for silver, furnace for gold, all refining instruments. 
meaning these things are being refined uh, in the, the crucible and the furnace. But the Lord tests the heart. Do that today. That's number one. Number two, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Don't allow anything and everything to come in at any moment at any time. I'm not talking about put, making your, uh, your heart a fortress where it's impenetrable, where no one or nothing, including God himself, can get in because your heart's actually so hard. But I'm talking about just guarding, being aware of what you are allowing into who you are. I'm going to give you a few examples of what Proverbs teaches of what we actually need to guard our hearts against. First one is this, pride. Proverbs is pretty bold in declaring God hates pride. Uses that language, God detests pride. Proverbs 16, verse 5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. This should be a good wake-up call to us. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Pride that seeps into the heart, God says, that's, that's detestable to me. Pride takes as many faces, but the end game of pride is ultimately just a man or a woman who wants to make much of themselves. At the end of the day, that's what really pride is. It's self-glorification. John Stott, who's a pastor, author, writer, said this, it is, in speaking about pride, it is itself the essence of all sin. Jonathan Edwards, um, pastor, preacher, teacher, writer, says this about pride. Pride, the worst viper that is in the heart, the greatest disturber of soul's peace and communion with Christ, the most difficult sin to root out. That's what Edwards had to say about pride. He goes on to say this, what a foolish Silly, miserable, blind, deceived, poor worm am I when pride works. If you've ever seen pride in yourself, and it's always hard to do it because you're busy looking at everyone else's pride. So if you've ever seen someone else's pride in full bloom, it's, it's foolishness. I mean, have you ever had that thought? You're like, man, just get over yourself. Stop talking about yourself. We get it. You're great. You... you you think that, but really what's going on is it's just so foolish, it's so silly how you look. C.J. Mahaney wrote a great uh, book, um, uh, another pastor author, um, called Humility. And he talks about if you're going to understand and live out humility, you have to be on guard against pride. And he defined pride like this. Pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon him. Pride is not just a rejection of God. It's a declaration that what belongs to God, I want that. Meaning, I want the praise. I want the adoration. I want the honor. I want the glory. And rather than acknowledging my need for God, my pride would say, I don't need anything. I don't need anyone. I'm completely self-dependent, self-reliant, and self-fulfilled in and of myself. That is pride. Have anyone ever heard of the original sin? The original sin was pride, but it wasn't Adam and Eve. The original sin actually predates them. It goes back to an angel, and his name was Lucifer, Satan, the devil. And Isaiah paints a, a very bright picture of what happened to this angel of light who was in the presence of God, who dwelled with God who walked with God, was on mission with God. He was an angel. And this is what Isaiah records of his, the original fall, the original sin. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. This is Isaiah 14. You have been cast down to the earth. Listen to this language. We'll talk about the famous proverb of pride comes before the fall. How you have fallen, you've been cast down. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart. This is where pride is born. It's born in the heart. I need to guard my heart against pride. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. 
I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly and the utmost highest of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's pride. It's a great picture of pride. And you might say, well, I've never used that language. I've never said that. But we do. Pride puts us in a position of, I want to be God, where I get all the praise, honor, glory, adoration. And Satan was the first to learn of pride's consequences when he was kicked out of heaven. He was kicked out of God's presence. And these are the consequences of pride. You are separated from God. When they were kicked out of the garden, it was because of their pride and their sin. And God's holy, perfect, and they can't coexist. You will fall. We've, we often quote it as pride comes before the fall. And what actually Proverbs says about pride is this. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. So next time maybe you quote it or you hear someone quote it, in humility, correct them and actually just say, actually, it says this. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. Because we tend to generalize pride. No, it's, it's deep within here. Before his downfall, a man's heart, it is proud. And those who are proud of heart have pride raging in their heart. You will fall. You will fall. Another consequence, you will be opposed by God, meaning God is working against you. I can't think of a more powerful verse in the New Testament that speaks to this in James, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know who James is quoting? Solomon from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to to the humble. Now, it's always easier to be like, well, I don't have a pride issue, so move on to your next point, please. Actually, the people behind me, in front of me, and to the side of me, I hope they're listening, but not me. So how do you know if you have pride? How do you know if you're honestly a proudful person? Here's a few questions for you. And this is pass or fail. This is not on like a, you know, a grading system. You either are doing this or not doing this. Do you exaggerate? meaning paint yourself in a better light. You're the storyteller who is the storyteller of all storytellers. No matter what happens, you are always the hero. You always find a way to twist it to make sure that you somehow come out in a really good light. You don't do that for other people. Your stories never paint someone else in a great light. You might be accurate with the details, but do you exaggerate about yourself? Do you conceal meaning not confess to anyone where you really are. Do you exaggerate? Do you conceal? I mean, I, just, I don't tell anyone where I am because if they really knew, their thought, opinion, idea of me would decrease greatly. That's pride. Do you say thank you? Do you find yourself saying thank you a lot? And I don't mean to people, but to God. How many times have you ever prayed for something to happen, and it happened, and then like a day goes by, three days go by, and you're like, oh, you know what? I prayed about that, and I never even bothered to say thank you. God answered that prayer. Do you find yourself saying thank you a lot? Meaning, is there a gratitude that wells up in, in you? You're grateful for who God is and what God's doing. So do you say thank you a lot? Do you worship? Meaning, do you find yourself singing a lot? Okay, and I know some people are like, I just don't sing. Well, if you're going to worship, you need to learn how to sing. I'm not saying worship is just singing, but the Bible has a lot to say about singing. I've got the entire Old Testament, New Testament, specifically Revelation. There's a lot of singing going on. I can go to any Patriots game, Celtics games, Bruins game, and who did I forget? Socks. And they've got pretty good worship going on. But if you go to an Ohio State game, we got to figure it out. A stadium of 110,000 people, they are worshiping. The band kicks on a song. You might have the attitude, I don't like to sing, but you start singing. Why? Because you love them. Do you find yourself worshiping a lot? Specifically, I'm going to push you on this through song. 
where you can't help but just sing to God. You might be a terrible voice, so sing alone, but sing to God. I think this is a big one. Do you ask for forgiveness? Okay? I was talking about this with someone this week of, there's a difference of saying, I'm sorry, that doesn't count. Do you say, will you forgive me? Because anyone can go up to anyone and say, hey, I'm sorry, and you walk away. You did not seal the deal. A prideful person will stop and just say, I'm sorry, I've done my thing, I can move on. A humble person goes and says, will you please forgive me for what I've done? I place myself in a humble position because I've wronged you, I've hurt you. Pride prevents us from asking for forgiveness. And pride leads us just to say, I'm sorry, and then we walk away. Do you exaggerate? Do you conceal? Do you say thank you? Do you worship? Do you ask for forgiveness? It is safe to say that there is no one here today, and I mean this honestly, who struggles with pride. There is not one person out of the 85 to 100 people here who struggles with pride, but I guarantee there is a lot of us, if not many, if not all of us, who need to repent of the sin of pride. You hear me say this a lot. I don't struggle with pride. Pride is sin. We, you need to hear that. I need to hear that. I don't just struggle with it. If I've got pride in my heart, that is a sin, first and foremost, against God. If you forgot what the question was, what am I guarding my heart against? Okay, I'm guarding my heart against pride. The solution to pride, Proverbs says, fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride, arrogance, evil behavior, perverse speech. Fear of God, awe and reverence, and it's a hatred of sin. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. If you do not repent of the pride in your heart, you will never have wisdom. You might have knowledge, but you lack wisdom. Why? Because pride is blocking you from wisdom. Number two, this is what I'm encouraging you, exhorting us to guard our hearts against. Number two is envy. Guard your heart against envy because it will actually begin to rot your heart and rob your heart of all that God wants to give to you. I love this proverb, 1430. A heart at peace, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Isn't that a great proverb? <clears throat> a heart that has peace, it gives you life. It gives you life, but envy rots the bones. Many of us might be lacking peace right now in our hearts because we look at our life, and my life is just crazy. Michael, you don't get it. Every relationship is turned upside down, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how I'm going to get there, and I don't know who's going to pay for it. And our life just seems so absolutely crazy. And so what happens is we begin to look out at the other people's life around us like, man, they've got it so good. The relationship is perfect. They seem to have an endless ATM card that just keeps giving them money. They don't seem to have any problems. And so... I look at my life, and then I begin, rather than looking to God, I begin envying other people for what they have and what I don't have. And when I do that, you know what happens? I begin to curse God. Why aren't you doing for me what you're clearly doing for them? Why are you holding out on me? And that all started with an attitude of envy. I allowed my heart to envy other people. Just think, for, when you look at someone else's life and you have envy in your what are you actually envying about them? Is it really their looks, their hair, their outfit, their talents, abilities? Is it you know, the degrees, the school they maybe went to? Is it accomplishments that they have? Is it their career? Do you look at it and they've got a nicer car than you? Like, What is it about them that actually leads you to envy them or at least what they have? And I wrote a question... If you could really be them, would that solve you? It wouldn't. If you could be them, 
step into their skin and live their life, their relationships, you're honestly just inheriting someone else's problems. It would not solve you. Guard your heart against pride. Guard your heart against envy. And the cure for envy, Proverbs teaches, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous, again, for the fear of the Lord. Zealous is passion in action. I have a zeal for awe and reverence of God and hating sin. Last one I'll give you on what it means to guard your heart. And I'm going to really talk about this next week, but this one is is impurity. Sexual sin, pornography, lust of the flesh. If you really want to rot your heart, like the quickest way to rot your heart, kill your heart, harden your heart. If you really want to trash your marriage, pretty much any relationship you have, just let the floodgates of sexual sin and lust and porn into your life. I say this tongue-in-cheek in pre-marriage counseling, but I challenge, if you want to trash your relationship, then just have no standard when it comes to sexual sin. You go ahead and look at porn. You guys cross whatever boundaries you want to cross. If you really want to trash your relationship, then allow lust, sexual sin, immorality into your heart. And they're like, really? Like, no, of course, don't do those things. Point being, if you want to just see death of heart, impurity is the way to go. Proverbs 6, 25 do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her, or let her captivate you with her eyes. Lust of the flesh and love of God, they don't work. They cannot coexist. There, there needs to be a divorce there. If I've got lust impurity in my heart, there is not a chance that I can actually express love to God and express love to other people because I just love the flesh so much. They just don't work together. And I think even more so than having a heart that's rotted out is you'll have a heart that won't see God. I think one of the most encouraging, promising beatitudes is Matthew 5.8. Blessed are the pure in heart, you get to see God. And that a great promise? Blessed is the man and woman who is just pure of heart. There's no impurities there. There's no toxins there. And you, you get to see God unhindered, uninterrupted. You get to see God. And for those who are casting their vision on smaller things, on the computer screen, on the TV, in our relationships with each other, you trash your heart, but you won't see God. These are the things that we need to guard our heart against, pride, envy, and impurity. Proverbs 7.25, do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. The way of the impure heart, it will not go well. The wisdom from Proverbs to us is, above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. Proverbs 23, 19, listen, my son, and be wise. Keep your heart on the right path. Meaning, to guard my heart against pride or envy or impurity. And by the way, there is so much more that I could have said about what we need to guard our hearts against. And I say this, hopefully it will be helpful. If you want to have a running check on how your heart is doing, listen to yourself. If you want to have a running tally on how your heart is doing, just listen. Not to the people around you, but listen to you. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus speaking very kindly to the Pharisees. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil, say anything good. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in your heart will eventually show up in your mouth. So every day, listen to what you're saying because it's a check on what's ultimately going, in, going on in your heart. I ask so many questions that I sometimes even get confused myself as to which question I'm actually on. 
So if that happens to me, I'm guessing it might be happening to you right now. The question was, how do I cultivate a Christ-like heart so that I can begin to genuinely reflect Jesus? Allow God to examine your heart, then you guard your heart, and then the third one is this, that you would trust God with all of your heart. Proverbs, some of you have this memorized, chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and good name in the sight of God and man. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I'm not going to walk through that, uh, that section like I had intended, but it's easy to say, trust God. But I know many of us, well, how do I do that? I want you to really walk through Proverbs 3, 1 through 7, because it's your guide, it's your map of how you can be a person who trusts God. You don't forget what God has said. You store up his commands. You never stop loving God and being faithful to God and other people. And you lean not on your own understanding. These are the path to trusting God. Not forgetting, storing up, never stop loving and being faithful, leaning not on your own understanding, but trusting in God. If you do that, if you store these things up in your heart, if you do not forget the things that God has said, the God, that God has declared and promised, this leads you to the path, the road, the way of being a man or woman who trusts God. Because when I have this in my heart, when I have not forgotten, when I've stored it up, it's in me, my heart. It is a no-brainer to trust God because how could I not? I know him so well. I know his words. I know his ways. It is not hard to trust God, but it is impossible to trust God when I am forgetting what God has said, when I am not storing up what God has said, when I am not loving God, when I am not uh, being faithful or obedient. It's just not possible. But if I'm doing those things, that's the way of trusting God. How do I cultivate a Christ-like heart so that I will begin to genuinely, consistently reflect Jesus? Allow God to test your heart and do it today. Guard your heart, pride and envy. Those are two big ones. Impurity, we're going to talk about that next week. Trust God with all of your heart, all of the time, not just some of the time. And the last one is this. If you want to have a heart that is cultivated to be like Christ so that you can reflect Christ, this might seem so obvious, but I need to say it. If you want to have that heart, you need to give your heart to Jesus. I can't have that heart unless I take my heart and say, Jesus, will you take my heart? Not this 10-ounce organ. Will you take me? Will you take up residence in me that I might begin to reflect you? Paul, Apostle Paul, says this, that Jesus is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. If you want to have wisdom, you have to have Christ. It, it just won't work without a relationship with Jesus. If I'm going to have the heart of Christ so I can reflect the man, the person of Jesus, I have to give my heart to him. Does he have you? Or does he just have some of you? Does Jesus have all of you? Or is it just parts of you? 
Because there's a big difference. It's not possible, if you're just giving parts of yourself over to Jesus, over to God, you live a very fractured lifestyle. And you were not called to be of many heart, but of one heart. I'll just finish with that question. Does Jesus have all of you? Your heart is so vital. I just pray that you would fight like crazy to guard your heart because it is, as Solomon says, the wellspring of life. You'd allow God to examine it. You would guard it like crazy. You would protect it. You would fight for your heart because it is so valuable because it's you. It's who you are. It's who you're becoming. You would say, God, in my heart, I trust you completely, wholly, all the time. And Jesus, you've got my heart. Will you take my heart, fill it with your love, your grace, and your mercy, your compassion, your goodness, so that in me, Jesus, you working in me, I would begin to reflect you. Father God, I pray that this morning, God, people would respond ultimately to what you have been speaking to our hearts. God, I do pray that uh, each of us would allow you to examine our heart. That we would do that hard work of sitting with you and asking the question, God, speak to me, reveal to me the condition of my heart. God, I pray that each of us would just fight like crazy to guard that which is most valuable, that which is most important, our heart. God, that we would just not allow anything and everything at any time, any moment to come into who we are. God, I just pray we trust you. What you've said, who you are, what you've promised, we'd store these things up in our hearts. And Jesus, if there is anyone here today that has not given their heart to you, I just pray. I pray right now, and if that's you, I just pray that you would literally say back to Jesus, Jesus, I put my life in your hands. I trust you to make me right with God. I trust you for what you did to forgive me for all of my sins. Jesus, I trust you to bring me peace and joy and love and grace If you've never done that, give your heart, meaning your life, to Jesus and do it today. And if you're here right now and you've just given part of you, give all of you. Give all of you.